Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Before we get going, you can subscribe to my writing site at grantwall.com. I am in Qatar doing daily coverage of World Cup 2022 for the entirety of the tournament. 37 days I'm here, we're about halfway through. That's grantwall.com, big US men's national team night. 1-0 over Iran, the US advances to the round of 16 at the World Cup to face the Netherlands on Saturday in the very first game of the elimination rounds. Great night for American soccer. Let's bring in Chris Whittingham. How are you, my friend? Absolutely buzzing. Uh, it was really great to be around uh, tons of people. Uh, we've been doing watch parties as part of our morally abhorrent show on the Dan Lebitard show. And so we've been at the American Outlaws Miami bar and it's just so cool. And today it, it sort of allows me a sort of outlet for the nerves, the immense nerves that one feels uh, during those moments. I kind of can't really behave like that much of a crazy person because I'm around <laughs> other people. Um, but uh, yeah, it took everything that I had to behave normally in that spot because it was a nerve wracking, I'd say 40 minutes that the U.S. closed on. Yeah, there's so much to talk about here and we will dive in right now. I just got back to uh, where I'm staying from the stadium. Absolutely electric atmosphere inside the stadium. Uh, there's so many U.S. fans that travel now and it's one of the best supported countries at the World Cup which didn't always used to be the case. So it's it's so cool to see that, to be a part of it. And then obviously we're very close to Iran here. And so there were a lot of Iran fans in the stadium, a mix of people coming in from Iran itself and also Iranian expats who live in any number of countries, including the US. Um, and they were extremely loud as well. And it's just such an adrenaline rush to be here and, and doing and, and just witnessing this and then getting the chance to do interviews of the players after the game and, and all of it. Um, I don't know exactly where you want to start, but in terms of the challenge facing the U S in the first half here, and it's funny because it, it, it changed completely in the second half because the game state changed is as I suspected Iran was basically playing for a tie in the first half. They started time-wasting in the first half on goal kicks to the point where Pulisic, Christian Pulisic complained to the referee about it. Um, and it, you know, Iran had 10 men behind the ball. Like you know, In the early parts, it seemed like they did start to try and counter a little bit, but then they basically were being sort of overmatched in athleticism and, and skill, uh, to some extent, more so in the athleticism in the first half by the U.S. And I think the Iranians were like, we're just going to put 10 men behind the ball and see how this goes. And it was very frustrating for the U.S., uh, which had total domination of the possession in the first half. But it wasn't until, I guess it was the 38th minute, uh, just a, a terrific ball over the top from Weston McKenney to Serginio Dest hits the header across the goal mouth. Christian Pulisic, as he's done so many times, before for club and country anticipates gets to the back post before anyone else. And that little sliver of time was enough for him to get to the ball and finish before he got absolutely walloped. Couldn't celebrate his goal, which is just a bummer. And also now has an injury that forced him to come out uh, after the first 45 minutes, he gamely came back, pulled a Willis Reed thing and played the last couple of minutes of the first half. Um, the latest 
we've heard is he went for a precautionary checkup at the hospital here and bruised pelvic area. Is that what we're hearing? Yes. Uh, U.S. Soccer has put out a pelvic contusion. He is day to day. So, I mean, that first off sounds immensely painful, um, but it goes to show, as you mentioned, uh, what I think is his greatest attribute as a player is sort of from an attacking point of view, being so switched on and so alert to chances that defenders are just a step slow on. And so he gets the right side of a defender and ultimately there is no coming back from that position. He turns in and also the bravery to go and finish that chance when you're probably going to get clattered into and sort of the the composure still get the right touch and finish the opportunity. But uh, what a cool moment for him because he's someone who has had so much pressure heaped upon him. In some ways, I, I watch now that Volkswagen commercial with him lying on the therapy couch and him being taken through a labyrinth of pressures, including Clinton Dempsey as a pundit. And, you know, this, uh, you know, you're, you're on a factory line and wait, you're, you're just a boy. How, how are you going to Dortmund? And sort of this, this narrative of his career. And it basically is, Hey, he's under a ton of pressure Volkswagen. And, like the, the the idea that he's sort of in this bubble and he has the assist for the for the goal against Wales and the goal here today, it's sort of reductive to say that this team is about Christian Pulisic because there were so many good in, individual performances today. I thought, but I'm just sort of happy for him and happy that his status as an American soccer player, as an American footballer to the world, was confirmed today when the score graphic comes up at full time. It says USA one, Iran nil, Pulisic thirty eight. Like, I think that's the name that should be there based off what these last five years have been. Great points. And I hope he's going to be okay, right? I mean, like, he's telling teammates, as Weston McKinney told us after the game tonight, I'm going to be ready for Saturday. So you better believe that they're going to do everything possible uh, to get Christian Pulisic ready because they're going to need him. I mean, the U.S. is going to be uh, an underdog in this game, but I don't see it potentially as being that different than playing England. Uh, I don't know if the Dutch are as good as England actually. Um, And they have shown in this tournament, you know, Ecuador got a result against them. So I, I, I do think while they have some phenomenal players that if the U S is an underdog, I don't think they should be a significant underdog in this game. Yeah, if you look at the from a from a betting standpoint, the Netherlands are minus one ten to win. The draw in in regular time is plus two thirty, and the U.S. is plus three ninety. If you look at the two advance odds, the Netherlands are minus two thirty five to advance, and the U.S. is plus one seventy five. So it's not. I mean, minus two thirty five is a pretty sizable favorite, but I, I think that I agree with you. And the Netherlands, I'll have to go back and watch their games from earlier on in this tournament. But from what I've seen. I, I've, I've not really been blown away by the Netherlands right. at this tournament. They're they're not a team that's sort of playing spectacular football right now, that's blowing teams away. The one thing to fear is the play of Cody Gakpo, who has been fantastic and has scored three goals from three fairly difficult chances. I saw this stat that the XG on his goals in like in total is like 0.26, and he oh, scored wow. three goals. So he has not had these great chances. As a matter of fact, his teammates have had far better chances and done a lot less with them. So I'm not blown away by this Netherlands team. They were good today against Qatar, but it's kind of hard to really narrow in on exactly how, how impressive that is given how bad Qatar has been at this is tournament. Qatar is we, we, we mal, my friends. Just uh, um, pretty terrible. I caught part of that game today. 
Um, and I, I, I do want to dig in a little bit more on this U.S. game, too, because um, the game obviously changed in the second half when the U.S. is up a goal and now Iran needs a goal and the U.S. is just trying to protect the lead. You know, you always want the U.S. to go for the second goal, you know, right at the same time as England was just adding goals to put Wales away. The U.S., sort of as was the case against Wales, was not adding to the goal they had scored. Uh, Very close call, obviously, on Tim Weah, who had a disallowed goal, tremendous finish. VAR said he was offside, can't really argue, but it was a very close call. And and other than that, though, there weren't a ton of U.S. scoring chances. And then at a certain point, it was like, we're going to have a five-man back line and try and see this thing (laughs) out and bring Walker Zimmerman on to... Uh, just to win every ball in the air. And even then in stoppage time, nine minutes, by the way, um, the ball squirted behind Matt Turner on one play and Zimmerman had to save the day and clear the ball. But for a brief moment there, that ball was just sitting alone in front of the goal. (laughs) And uh, it was scary. It was, it was very scary. And um, the Iranians, it was so weird. Like, they acted like they'd been wronged by some missed penalty call on that play, and there wasn't. There wasn't even close. No, and and they were also earlier having to go at the referee for uh, what they said was a handball on Shaq Moore, but was actually a handball on the Iranian player. Like they were right. kind of all over the place with their appeals today. I mean, you know, you can say Cameron Carter Vickers has got a hand on the shoulder, but it's such like contact. There's no way you can give a penalty in that situation for that contact. So yeah, I and I, I do I, I think we should have a conversation because I was surprised. You know, in some ways during these U.S. games, I do live in a little bit of a bubble because I'm doing a show before the game, doing a show at halftime, doing a show after the game. Then I race home to record with you and do other stuff. So I don't really like look at social media until like four, like two or three hours after the game has ended. And so I was gushing in my praise of Greg Berhalter. I was super enthusiastic and positive, And I thought, look, anything that you have to do in order to get out of the group is worth doing. And also, there are going to be situations as the U.S. where you're not going to have the ball and you're not going to outpossess your opponents. And you have to be able to play that way. And yet, when I got home, I mean, the, the number of people that I saw having to go at Greg Berhalter for the changes that he made, having to go at the U.S. for bunkering in and defending for that long, and another round of no Arena conversations, I was kind of surprised at the degree to which people were criticizing the manner in which you achieved that. And yes, that ball is sort of three yards away from squeaking over the line, and we're having a different conversation, and maybe we are having a go at Greg Berhalter for how we handled it. But you can't really question, in my view, trusting this defense and Cameron Carter-Vickers, who, by the way, that was a big call before the game to start him ahead of Walker Zimmerman, was sensational in this game, I thought. From minute one, he was great. Tim Ream was great. Walker Zimmerman, when he came on as a sub, was great. Shaq Moore, it wasn't brilliant. He did a job. Dest was great. Anthony Robinson, a bit up and down. But I I, I just sort of, I'm surprised that the the only that the only feeling isn't just complete jubilation that the U.S. are through. They're into the knockout round. It's not easy to win games at the World Cup. And yeah, you don't want to be suffering for that long. But given the situation, I think it's what was called for. And you can't really criticize it because the U.S. were good defensively in those moments. And yeah, it was a suffering and it felt like forever for the game to end. But I was surprised at how many people were like, whew, got away with one there when I kind of felt like the U.S. were in control through that whole period, even as they were like, even as they didn't have the ball. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that. I like social media noise is just so stupid sometimes. Like and, and I and I would say everyone's got a right to their opinion, but most of the people if who are being extremely critical, if they are of, of Burhalter after they qualified for the next round, are people who don't have as much of a sense of history and don't have as much of a sense of how hard it is to win games at the World Cup, uh, especially for the United States over the years. And uh the idea that this U.S. team now has had two consecutive clean sheets, which that just look at the history. That doesn't happen for the U.S. in the modern era. It hasn't happened in the modern era for the U.S. And so um, that in any World Cup is such a key thing. If you can keep clean sheets, you have a chance against any team in the tournament. And yes, eventually you need to score goals. Uh, and and the U.S. was in that situation tonight, got the goal they needed. Do you wish they would score more? Of course. But the clean sheet aspect of it for two straight games and not giving up a goal at all in three games from the run of play, that's something to be really impressed by um, because this was not the easiest group. In fact, I think this was uh, – overall one of the harder groups in the world cup there really isn't a group of death anymore now that they've changed the draw to make it more equitable group by group but this was a hard group and the u.s actually dropped points against the worst team in the group wales and this probably would have been a bit easier if the the one play that the u.s wish they could wishes they could have back defensively the the zimmerman penalty on gareth bale if you don't have that then the u.s is sitting on seven points as it is five points that's pretty good uh, for the U.S. Uh, in historical terms. And now a new tournament starts and you're going to get a crack at a team that isn't unbeatable, I think, in, in the Dutch. If you know, This is what we expected before the tournament. The U.S. has gotten to where we sort of expected them to be and we'll see if they can go beyond expectations. And now, in my view, they sort of have a bit of a free hit against the Netherlands because the Netherlands are this team that you know, have incredible tradition in this sport. They finished runner-up of the World Cup three times. Everyone sort of views that Dutch football is better than American football, and that is sort of a, a justified opinion. So in some ways, you can sort of go out and play with the freedom of, hey, people, you know, might not have expected us to be here. We were criticized at home uh, for, the, for the way that we've gone about this. Let's go and have a free hit and maybe play with a bit more freedom, or do you set up in the manner in which you did against England? And, you know, the Polisic injury plays a huge role. I think, I, I don't know, do you have an update on Josh Sargent? Because his his injury looked a lot worse than Christian's. No, I don't. Um, so it's, um, I mean, I, I look at this game, the decision to start Carter Vickers instead of Zimmerman, I thought was really interesting. I am not, on the face of it, a huge fan of making changes to your central defense pairing during a tournament. That's why my initial reaction was, I don't know if I like this um, because it is about familiarity. And yet in this tournament, Greg Berhalter has put together Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman, who had one half of competitive action together before this World Cup. And they've played well together, seem to understand each other, seem to communicate well. And then Carter Vickers and Ream had never played in a competitive game together before tonight. And it, it is crazy, right? Like a month or, or two ago, would either one of us, what would you have said if we if at the we were told at the World Cup it would be Zimmerman and Ream or Ream and Carter Vickers and the U.S. D defense would be doing quite well? Yeah, I mean, again, you, you sort of go back to a time at which 
you know, Carter Vickers is always kind of a periphery figure who is sort of a, yeah, he's playing really well in Europe. And, you know, he's, he's someone who is, you know, kind of been left out in the cold. I mean, I, you can, you were, you would remember better than me. I, did he feature in a single world cup qualifying game? I don't, I don't think he did. And he's so in the squad at times, but I don't know if he played. Right. So, I mean, this has always been kind of a fifth or sixth center back. And so, and for me, I thought he was sort of the fourth center back at this world cup. And Aaron Long was ahead of him. And I remember, again, all the angst ahead of the tournament. How much would Aaron Long play up top? And I remember, you know, before the tournament, Jesus Ferreira was the sort of penciled-in starter. And Greg Peralta has changed his mind about some things. And you don't really entirely know why. Um, because um, Carter Vickers is someone who I always thought wasn't like a great fit for the system. But I actually think, in some respects, he might be a little bit of a better fit for the system than Zimmerman is. Because Zimmerman, I think, is a bit worse with the ball at his feet. Uh, playing out from the back. And I thought Carter Vickers had so many moments of composure today where he looked comfortable with the ball at his feet and playing the obvious pass and able to carry the U.S. forward and almost going into the attacking third in certain moments, carrying the ball forward because that was a space that was afforded to him. So uh, for me, I, I, I am really surprised that he made a change before the third game. But and people can disagree with me. And I, I'm, again, surprised at the, the, some of the negativity for some of the decisions. I know that the Reina one has been a big one and the Aronson one has been a big one. But I honestly have difficulty finding fault with much of anything that Greg Berhalter has done throughout this tournament because he basically decided, I've got my starting lineup. These are my guys. And they play well together. And we formed a cohesive thing that works really well for 60 minutes and then has made little tweaks here and there where you can't really say honestly at this moment in time that you feel nervy or shaky about any of the American starting players, right? If you look at the 11 today, I didn't feel bad about any of them, honestly. I thought they all put in good performances. I thought they all did their jobs. And Carter Vickers, that's a big shout to basically pull a player like that from the cold and, and, and put him out there to start. And he was up for the task, and I thought, did his job brilliantly. You know, my thing with Greg Berhalter has been, I think he has gotten his tactics right in this tournament. I think he has gotten his starting lineup player selection right in this tournament. I think that's tremendously important. I don't think he has gotten all of his substitutions right in the timing of those substitutions. I think especially in the second game, waited way too long on the subs. Um, I would like to see more of Gio Reyna, even if it's as a sub, like 60th minute. Uh, I realize there's game state situations. Tonight probably wasn't as good of a fit for Gio Reyna. And, and I get that. Uh, and I thought Aronson came on in the second half and, and did fine. I, I'd love to understand what the the thought process is to choose Aronson in that position instead of Reyna. Um, because I think Reyna maybe has a little bit more uh, goal-producing capability, uh, a bit more creativity, a bit more of a cutting edge than Aronson. That's not a knock on Aronson because I think he's a terrific high-energy player who has good vision on the field. Um, and so it does make me wonder if there is sort of an injury type situation with Reina, but in that case, like, why not just be upfront about it? But yeah, I, I think for Greg Berhalter tonight, in some senses, he was coaching for his job. I don't think he keeps his job if the U.S. doesn't advance in the World Cup. I think now that they have, it, uh, it becomes more likely that he sticks around, but Honestly, I don't know if he wants to stick around. He hasn't really answered that question uh, publicly. I suspect he does. It would be nice to be the a, a coach of a national team that's co-hosting a World Cup in 2026. Uh, but we don't know that uh, to be true. Um, and then 
I, I thought it was interesting. I feel like I should share this. In the post-game press conference, Burhalter was asked, you know, why Carter Vickers instead of Zimmerman? I thought he would say, well, Carter Vickers is faster. And knowing that the U.S. was going to be pushing forward, looking for goals in this game, he felt like Carter Vickers would be in a better position to handle counterattacks. And that may be part of it. But what he said instead was Carter Vickers plays for Celtic, which is often having to face a low block situation in Scotland. And therefore, he felt that Carter Vickers would be well-equipped to handle Iran bunkering, parking the bus. Um, It's an interesting way to look at it. We did talk to Zimmerman after the game, and he sounded like it was a really disappointing thing for him to hear yesterday that he was not going to be starting after starting the first two games, but that he... Uh, thought about it, got a good night's sleep, and and realized he was likely to come into this game to help protect a lead at the end, which is exactly what happened. And Zimmerman, I thought, was very good in that role, getting his head on basically everything that came into the box. <laughs> yeah, it was it was so funny. I would, like he had two in a row, and I was just shouting at the like a third long ball came in. It's like go get it, big man, and 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 he, he went. He just won header after header after header. I trust them so much in defensive situations. It's kind of remarkable because, I mean, the U.S. have had good center backs in the past and at times have defended really well, but it always kind of felt like there was a moment, there was a slippage that was inevitable. And I just, honestly, the surprise of the tournament so far is that Walker Zimmerman made a mistake on the Gareth Bale situation. Not that the, the U.S. hasn't given away more goals. I trust these defenders implicitly. And now it goes three deep, which, I mean, I was kind of like hoping for one and a half at this World Cup defenders that I could trust. And now you're at three where if any of those three guys start the next game, I mean, obviously you want Tim Ream to keep starting because he's playing well. But if any of those three guys start, I feel pretty confident in the job that they're going to do. Tim Ream has been absolutely awesome, uh, which is really just good for him, but also good for the U.S. team. Tyler Adams, I thought, Again, I think he's the best U.S. player in this tournament. Um, and he's just, he he never flags in energy. You see some of the U.S. players, including midfielders, flagging uh, sort of noticeably uh, in the second half because they're putting out so much energy. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. It's a World Cup. Uh, Adams never shows that. I, I Tonight I was thinking to myself, how many minutes could Tyler Adams play like if he had to, like, 180, 250, like <laughs> I think he could run an ultra marathon. Yeah, his, his running capacity is absolutely incredible. And it's not even just like the sheer energy, which by the way, for as much as the US were kind of criticized for sitting deep, there were moments where yes, they were defending, but Tyler Adams was leading a press out of midfield and was trying to get the other US players, most of whom were dead on their feet, to try and chase the ball around and make it difficult for Iran to build out from the back. And so Adams, again, continues to prove his immense value as a captain for this team, as the driver of energy, as the player that you can tell just sort of is the emotional and inspirational leader for the team, but also is so smart tactically. It just feels like there are moments that are probably dangerous that don't feel that dangerous because he's there, right? where a fullback is out of position or Weston McKenney went for it and he's got to try and track back or Anthony Robinson went flying forward and it would, in theory, seem dangerous. There are moments you can start to see the development of danger and yet Adams and his U.S. cohorts always seem to make it seem like, all right, this is fine. And I actually thought the biggest flaw in Iran's plan in the first half 
was that and you mentioned sort of an athletic difference, but it was that the U.S. are going to be able to put out these fires that Cameron Carter Vickers is going to get touched tight on one of the one of the Iran strikers and Tim Ream is going to get touched t- tight and they back themselves to either win the ball initially or not really be that disorganized out of it. And I think Iran sort of lacked for pace. And I think the U.S. was able to just do a job and completely hold them to nothing. They literally did not have a shot in the first half. And it was remarkable the sort of way that they went about doing their work while also understanding that they had to press and and send fullbacks forward and go for more, that they didn't really expose themselves that much. The U.S. were not exposed when they were going forward in the game. And that's fairly remarkable. And I think it's almost entirely down to Tyler Adams. Again, it's reductive to talk about this as just Christian Pulisic's national team. I hope that people that watch this game, that are jumping aboard soccer, that are learning the sport, there's several players in this U.S. team that deserve their flowers, that deserve their praise. And Adams is at the top of the line, especially when you consider the sort of captain's performance he put in at the press conference uh, as well ahead of this one, considering the enormous situation he got sort of thrown in to without his knowledge or really his desire. Well, both Tim Ream and DeAndre Yedlin said to me after the game tonight how impressed they were with how Tyler handled himself in that crazy, surreal situation with hostile questioning coming from Iranian state media, which is what the Iranian media was there. And um, just a crazy situation that Adams and Burhalter handled in the best way possible by by showing respect and humility and totally disarming whatever it was that the Iranian regime guy was trying to get out of them. And that guy ended up looking like the fool. So very impressive. Um, and then a couple other things on my mind. One, in the in the post-game press stuff, it's still funny to me and kind of cool that like you had how many guys with British accents on the US team? <laughs> so tonight you had Carter Vickers. <laughs> You had Eunice Musa come out, uh, and you had Jedi Robinson come out, and there's other accents on the team, which is, I think, what make what makes it great. I think this is a a very diverse U.S. team that is showing to the world that they can also play good soccer together. And I think it's important to note so many people who are not Americans who are seeing this U.S. national team for the first time in a while have commented to me about how impressed they are with how the U.S. team is playing here. So the folks who are ripping Greg Berhalter right now on social media maybe should take a step back and look at what other people around the world are saying about this U.S. team and what they've seen. I got a text message from uh, Ilkay Gundogan's brother, really good good dude I saw at the Germany game the other night. He's also his agent. Um I've known him for a while, and and he's like, I really enjoy watching this U.S. team play. They play good football, and um, that's what you can do earning respect at a World Cup because there's only basically one game going on at a time, right? Today was an exception, but like, so everyone's watching you, and and they're forming opinions about you, and they formed opinions in the about U.S. teams in the past some good teams, some not as good. And they feel like this U.S. team is different. And I, I think that's one cool thing about the World Cup is you're around so many people from different countries who love the sport and love to talk about it and analyze it. And hearing those opinions um, sometimes makes me think or rethink some of the things I think following this team and covering it. I completely agree. And I think it's it's almost uh, it's harsh and sort of a very small sample but that is sort of what the U.S. 
when they step onto the field at the World Cup, can do each and every time. They can exponentially grow the sport in their home country because 20 million people watched the USA-England game on Fox and Telemundo. I imagine today's game will have done a very big number. I imagine a Saturday game against the Netherlands will do a very big number, and you sort of get to exponentially grow. God forbid they get to... Uh, uh, get to a quarterfinal and they can play, you know, maybe even France or something like that in, in the next round or whomever. They can continue to exponentially grow the game in the country. And then they are also stepping onto the field to earn the respect of the globe. And I think the American players doing well at European clubs kind of helps. It's like, oh, yeah, Tyler Adams, he's he's American. Oh, yeah, uh, Brendan Aronson and, and Pulisic and McKenney. Well, they got some guys that are playing in some big clubs. But there's nothing like wearing the shirt at a World Cup and impressing against England and impress and hopefully they impress against the Netherlands on Saturday and impress against impress in front of the eyes of the world and as you mentioned they open the World Cup knockout round and I also want to pick you want to pick up your point on what you said as it relates you know the English accents and the other accents in this team in some ways in the past I always heard Alexi Lalas in particular kind of mention that in some ways the multiculturalism in the U.S. setup can almost be a hindrance sometimes because normally uh, a national team is sort of an expression of that country's soccer identity. And if it's multiple identities, it's difficult to figure out what exactly you're expressing. And that can be difficult uh, to sort of get on the same page compared to other soccer cultures. But I'm really glad that this U.S. team has found a style and found that identity that suits so many players that come from so many parts of the country, so many parts of the world, and they're all sort of, there's no questions about, you know, in, in the past when dual nationals, particularly the German-Americans, all they have their own clique within the group and they're not actually connected, they don't actually play for the shirt. You have any of those sort of nonsensical arguments about the motivations of this team. They're clearly together. They clearly have settled on one style of play that suits them very well. They express themselves technically. They express themselves tactically. And I think, I'm, I'm glad that today is not a negative podcast about, well, the U.S. failed to get out of the group, and we get to sort of highlight some of the positive elements of this team, because I have loved so much of what I've seen during the World Cup from this U.S. team. I entered with relatively low expectations, and they have so far exceeded them, and there's so many elements, so many individuals that I've enjoyed watching, and I'm glad that they sort of discovered this, or this collective identity for how they want to play, despite the various backgrounds that they come from. No, really well said. Um, you didn't pick them to win, by the way. <laughs> I will say this that I am not I have not always been the most uh optimistic uh person when it comes to predictions about the US men's national team and if I'm being honest I I in my pre-tournament predictions had the Netherlands beating the US in the round of 16 um but I did have the US going through and even felt that way heading into this game because I, I maybe it's something that is being around this team on a daily basis and getting a sense of taking their temperature of how they go about what they do. And even the chance I got to talk to Zimmerman one-on-one -on -one ahead of the first game and get a sense of what it was like, what it is like inside the U.S. camp and how they're interacting with each other. Compare it, like there's, he said there's literally like 20 guys at a time in the player's lounge. And he's like, that hasn't even been like that during all of world cup qualifying, but like there's a real togetherness inside this U S team. They like each other. They like doing stuff with each other. They aren't on their phones as much. He said, because of the time difference with the U S and you can't fake that and compare that to whatever sort of 
dust-ups we're having inside the Belgian camp right now that you're reading reports about <laughs> like fights and guys hate each other and and you know like this US team you just knew coming in would not do that even if they did have adversity and that's a credit most most of all to the players on the team it's also a credit to the coaching staff and in in the support staff at US soccer and the relationships that have been built over the last couple of years as this young team um, has has pushed forward. And it hasn't always been linear, right? I mean, like literally in September, they were pretty bad. And headlines of the stories I was writing were, how is the US going to get its mojo back for the World Cup? Well, they did. And I think it's also a reminder that September friendlies aren't the sky falling. Right, especially in empty stadiums when the goal is don't get hurt and you know try and implement some tactical stuff. But also, I think on the flip side, you'd have had to ignore a lot of data to be completely optimistic about this U.S. team because um, they weren't sensational in the summer window. They weren't great away from home in qualifying. They had some bad results against Canada, who was one of the other teams uh, that went to the World Cup. They looked bad in both of those games. I thought, and they were good at home. They were good against, you know, CONCACAF teams at home, but they didn't sort of wow during qualifying. Even when winning major tournaments, they haven't always wowed. And so that, I think, sort of left the U.S. with a genuine sense of, well, they have to prove this. They have to prove that against top, top level opposition, like you said, that they're going to be able to perform at a really high level and sort of summon, in some ways for me, this World Cup so far has been three USA Mexico games, like the home one in Cincinnati, where they get the tactics right, they use the ball well, and they're pretty creative, and they can get into decent positions, and they're also not completely exposed defensively and don't give away a ton of chances. It's sort of like the very best version of the US, where it's sort of a big game. It's sort of the, these are big game players, and they're making uh, they're sort of announcing themselves in big games, except they've done it three times, and. The hope is they'll do it a fourth time and they'll sort of keep summoning the very best version of themselves. And kudos to Greg Berhalter for being able to do that. And kudos to those players as well, because Serginho Des has been up and down. I think he's been great. He was great today. Uh, Tyler Adams was criticized in the summer for his inability to help the U.S. progress the ball in midfield and, and pass forward. And he's been, as we discussed, sensational. Yunus Musa, I think, has been great in, in a U.S. year from the second he put it on and has carried on. He is such a talented player and such a fun watch. And some of these other U.S. players where Tim Ream has had, has had questions, uh, you know, even Matt Turner at times, like, well, is he going to actually win this starting job? There have been questions about a lot of players, and all of them are sort of answered in the affirmative. And that's the thing that's that that's sort of almost stunning in a way. It's like if you sort of laid out, well, here are the scenarios that you need to go right. The only one that they haven't really figured out is the striker situation. Everything else has gone right for them. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with all of that. And it's it's just a, a reminder, I think, of how young this team is. And, um, and they're going to have moments like September, like parts of qualifying, where uh, they're not a finished product. And they're not a finished product now, but it does get you excited about the product they have become and could become in the years ahead because they are so young and a lot of these guys are going to stick around, you would think, along with hopefully you would think also some new players, even younger players uh, for 26. And that's a reason to be excited um, for World Cup 26 in the US. 
Um, I think that's probably enough for our deep dive into the U.S. game here. I did want to share something that was really fun today, though, and I'm going to show you uh, on our video here. I was awarded an actual mini World Cup trophy by FIFA and AIPS um, by OG Ronaldo today. Wow. Brazilian Ronaldo at uh, an event that was really cool. It was an event to uh, honor journalists who have covered eight or more men's world cups. And I made the cut barely with my eight is my eighth. And what was your uh, first one? 94, 94, 98. Okay. 94 was my first one. I was not sports illustrated yet, but I, uh, I wrote a lot of stuff, attended games in Boston and wrote a lot of stuff for university, uh, publications. And, uh, so I counted uh, as, as one <laughs> and, um, 98 was my first credentialed world cup with sports illustrated. And I've been to everyone since. Um, but it was amazing to see people, journalists that I've known for a long time from different countries and get pictures with them. Like two of my good friends from Argentina, uh, who I spoke to in 95 when I was doing my thesis on politics and soccer there. And, um, just seeing them again was great. And they also had a couple, two journalists there who have covered 17 world cups, men's world Whoa. cups going back to 1958. One of them is German. One of them is, uh, Enrique Macaya Marquez, legendary broadcaster from Argentina. They're both here. They're both here covering the tournament. And so it was neat to, to do that. And then they brought in Ronaldo. Teen World Cups. Holy crazy, hell. Right? And they brought OG Ronaldo to present the awards. And he remembered me from my stories on him over the years and gave him a big hug. And, and it was just a, an unexpected special moment that was really fun to be a part of. Well, congratulations. That, that, that's such a, a cool distinction to have. And one of the things that you sort of uh, put through, I think, on this podcast is there almost there's like a World Cup community. And you guys that have been covering it for a while and you sort of get to go to tournaments and sort of reconvene this community that only meets once every four years and see a bunch of people you hadn't seen for a while and see members of the, the football family in, in all different kinds of levels, whether it's fellow journalists or people who work in the game. And I, I, I sort of uh, I aspire to one day uh, be a part of it. I imagine uh, World Cup 26 will be my first uh, that, that I get to cover, and hopefully I'm some 86-year-old journalist in, in 52 years' time that has covered a whole bunch of these, and I get uh, a, a similar kind of recognition. But uh, long may it continue, and, and congratulations on, on what was a cool day. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm going to write about it tomorrow, I think, uh, once I get all of my writing done on this. But I'm also going to get to bed now. It's about 3.52 a.m. local time here <laughs> in Doha, and thank you, Chris. It's been so much fun talking to you about this. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.